Good morning. Hope you're all doing great. Um, it's great to have you. It's great to be here this morning. If you have a Bible, John chapter 11, um, that's where we're going today. Um, you can turn a Bible on on your phone, follow along in our app, um, in the outline. We put all the scriptures out there for you. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we can give you one at the Welcome Center on your way out. We've got great study Bibles. Um, we'd love to give you one. Um, also, all the scripture will be up on the screen. So John chapter 11, where we're going, um, we're actually going to get into John chapter 12 today as well. Um, we're in week number five of a series called Grave Robbers. Um, we've been talking about um, what gets us buried um, and stepping into the freedom, stepping into the life that Jesus Christ has called us to live. Um, next week, uh, we're finishing up this series, and the week after that, we'll be starting our summer series called House Party. Um, it's going to be tons and tons and tons of fun. So um, got a lot of cool things uh, planned for the summertime. So uh, make sure you stay tuned to all the announcements and everything that, that come out. Um, today, um, today, I'm going to start out a little bit different. And um, if this is like like your first or second, like if you haven't been coming here for a while and you're not real um, familiar with me and uh, my preaching style and just kind of how my head works, um, you're going to have to give me, uh, just, just trust me, just give me a minute to kind of get where I'm going. I'm going somewhere with it, um, I promise. Uh, last week, last week in this series, we talked about verse 39 of chapter 11. Remember, um, Jesus had gone to the grave of Lazarus and he said, roll the stone away. And Martha, one of Lazarus' sister, was like, but Lord, the smell and that got me thinking, and again, stick with me. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. But you gotta, you got to trust me through the entire thing. I'll get there. All right. Have you ever walked into the bathroom and the person before you had absolutely blown it up? I mean, it is obvious that something crawled out of them and just died, like right there on the floor. That, and you're just like... I mean, it just takes your breath away, and then, but it took your breath in, and you're just like, it's just, it's horror, it's horror. Like, we all know that, right? Y'all, we all understand this, right? We all, you all know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, everybody knows. We're all human. We all, we all deal with that. It happens to every one of us. But then there's a problem that happens because of it, and the problem is, is that somewhere in the bathroom, and this is in every bathroom, at least in America, in every bathroom, there's a can of Febreze. And somebody in their mind thought, oh my gosh, I need to spray this to cover up my smell, right? Right? If, if I spray that, the smell goes away. Now, really quick question, does it work, yes or no? No, but we keep spraying it, don't we? We keep using it. You, you walk in afterwards, you're like, I'm pooping in cranberries. Like, I don't, I don't even know, like, where you go with that. We, but we've all been there, right? We, we've all been there. We've all been desperate in the moment, and we just kind of spray stuff. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're off the rails this morning, Ryan. Where are you going with this? What does this have to do with God, Jesus, church, the grave robber series? Well, I'm glad you asked, because here's reality. Every single one of us in this room, we all have this in our lives. Now, we call that the chocolate ice cream emoji around here, right? But we all have that, right? We all have that in our lives. And for most of us, it's not smiling. For, for, for a lot of us, 
It's a great big problem. Every single person that I know that would be willing to be honest would admit that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we have this in our lives, and this is a great big huge problem at times for all of us. Now some of us is out in the open, some of us is locked away, and we just don't talk about it. But, but for the most of us, for most of us, it's, it's not just that that is the problem in our lives. The problem with that, especially in the church world, is that we've been covering this up rather than trying to get it out of our lives. And we try to cover, don't miss this, we try to cover it up with this thing called religion. And religion, it's kind of like that Febreze that we spray everywhere. And when people far from God walk into the church and they take a good whiff, they're like, Ugh, uh, something's wrong here. So, something's not right. And, and, and that stench in the air is hanging there because we've taught people to value religion over relationship. But Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could follow a bunch of rules and traditions. He died on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God the Father through him. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because at the end of the day, we're not trying to cover this up. We're trying to get this out. Now today, um, this message, I've never preached on this this text before because it's, um, it's sort of confusing. Uh, in fact, I'm going to read you a bunch of verses that are in the Bible. Some of you may go home later on today, open your Bible back up, and read it because you don't believe me that these are really in the Bible. But, but, but I just want to show you the damage that religion can do. And I want to show you the hope that relationship, that true relationship through Jesus Christ can bring every single one of us. First, let me define religion before we move on. We all need to be on the same page. I want us to all have a working definition because everybody has a different definition. Um, We live in an area, we live in a a community where religion in and of itself of rules and tradition and and dogma are are very, um, very prevalent. Right, And so every place that you would talk to, especially here around us, would have a different viewpoint on what it is. And I heard John MacArthur um, say this years ago. John MacArthur is a pastor out in California. Um, he's a New Testament scholar. And uh, he, 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 he said this years and years ago, um, and it's stuck with me ever since. Um, he says this. He said, religion is a system of rules and regulations created by a group of men. Now, hold on. I, I want to stop, and I want to say something about that. Um, And and I want to say this very clearly, and I want you all to listen to me. Um, I'm going to say exactly what I mean. I'm going to mean exactly what I say. Be very, 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 very skeptical of any church that will not allow a woman to hold a leadership position of any kind, like period. Do you know what the Bible says? The, The Bible says that if it wasn't for women, we wouldn't have even known that the tomb was empty because they had the guts to go to the tomb while the men were freaking out with chocolate ice cream emoji in their pants hiding in a room somewhere. The, the women were the ones that went and told the men. Anyway, it's another sermon for another time, but I, I just wanted to throw that in there. Religion can best be described as a system of rules, traditions, regulations created by a group of men for the purpose of control and manipulation through the means of guilt and shame. A system of rules, traditions, and regulations created by a group of men for the purpose of control and manipulation through the means of guilt and shame. Now that's loaded, and there's a lot in that. But as you look at that, every one of us in here 
knows that that's true. All right? So here's where we are in the story, and, and this, is, this is the reason why we're going to talk about this today. Because if you remember, we started out John chapter 11, verse 1. Lazarus was what? Sick, right? And Martha and Mary, his two sisters, send word to Jesus. And, and they say, hey, your friend, our brother, Lazarus, is, is sick. And Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. And then he sits down, remember? And, and he doesn't move for a couple of days. And he tells his disciples, finally, hey, let's go to Judea. And the disciples are like, we don't want to go to Judea. Because the last time they were in Judea, rocks had been thrown at them. The people in Judea did not like Jesus, did not like what Jesus was doing. And in that message, we talked about how our next step isn't always easy, but our next step is always right. Sometimes it's difficult. It's always going to be difficult, but it's always the right step to take. So they wind up taking that step. They wind up going to Judea. And does anybody remember how long Lazarus had been in the tomb? Four days. He, Jesus shows up four days after the funeral. And Mary and Martha are ticked off. They're upset with Jesus. In fact, they both told him the same thing. They both said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And so he says, all right, take me to the place where you buried him. And we talked about, remember, we said, in other words, he's saying, take me to the place where your faith has been buried. Take me to the place where you lost your faith. And we talked about asking Jesus to step in and fight our battles for us. Last week, we talked about how Jesus wept. And I told you the reason I believe that Jesus wept is because he felt compassion. And we talked about how when we hurt, Jesus hurts because he feels what we're going through. If we're feeling pain, Jesus understands pain. If we're feeling stress and anxiety, Jesus understands that stress and anxiety. He has compassion for us. And at the end of that message last week, we talked about how Jesus gets to the front of the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And he came walking out and everybody freaked out because they had never seen anything like that before. It was absolutely amazing. And if we were there and if we had seen that, we would be the same way. We would be freaking out that they walked out, that Lazarus walked out. That's where we're picking up the story because the next verse says this, verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. And we're all like, duh, right? Because think about this. If you had been there, Right? If you had been there and, and Jesus would have just stood in front of the, the, the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. Remember we talked about eye rolling. Like that's what we would have done. Like, whatever, man. What, what's wrong with this guy? And then dude comes walking out. Woo! You know what? Sign me up. Sign me. Like, like who's in? Who's in at that point? Every one of us, right? Every one of us are in. If I see Jesus pull this off, like I am following him. That is most all of us. And I know some of you might be skeptical. I don't know. See my cousin Billy Bob do it one time. He's a magician. Like I, I, I somebody's going to be skeptical of it, right? This would be the perfect ending to a story. I, I'm big on on endings in movies and TV shows. I don't I don't know if you are or not, but but I like it when they just when they just end and they end quick and the hero is the hero. Like Rocky, like Rocky Four, Rocky Four when he beats Drago. You guys know this this movie. Right, and, and he puts that flag over his shoulders, and they pick him up, and all the Russians are chanting USA and Rocky, and it just ends. It's like the greatest thing ever. The Shawshank Redemption, one of the greatest movies ever made. If you've never seen it, go watch it today. That's a pastoral recommendation. There are going to be some stuff in there. You'll be like, I'm not sure my pastor should be watching this. Um, I'm not the normal pastor. But anyway, um, 
greatest movie ever. At the end of that movie, when, 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 they escape from pri- when he escapes from prison and then Red gets out and they're walking towards each other on the beach, greatest ending ever. We all love great endings. And so I'm just saying right here, in this story, Jesus shows up. Everybody has lost hope. Everybody is broken. Everybody is crying. Their people are wailing. The sisters are upset. Lazarus is dead. Jesus, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes walking out, and everybody believes in Jesus. Woo! End of story. Perfect Bible story to tell our kids. But the story doesn't end there, and problems start to begin because, you see, not everybody was into the whole Jesus movement. Watch what happens. Verse 46. But some went to the Pharisees. Listen, the Pharisees were religious. The Pharisees tried to control everybody. The Pharisees thought that they were in control of everything. And so instead of celebrating, these people went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priest, don't miss this, then the leading priest and the Pharisees called the high council together. Hey, we're going to have to have a meeting about the miracle. Miracles like this can't happen. We're going to have to get together, and we're going to have to talk about it. And, and watch what happens. This is crazy. Like, this is in the Bible. You can't make this stuff up. They asked, what are we going to do? What do you mean? What do you mean, what are you going to do? Come on, guys. What, what are you going to do? The dead guy just came to life. We saw it. It was awesome. He spoke, and the guy walked out. Like, we're going to celebrate. But don't miss this. Their question is not, how can we celebrate this? Their question is, what are we going to do? You know why? Because religion is all about control, and they sensed that they were losing control. This Jesus guy just brought somebody back from the dead. That's not the way we do things around here. Somebody dies, you just leave them dead. What are we going to do, they ask each other. Watch this. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. I mean, this is insane. Hey, he brought a dead guy back to life. Yeah, yeah, he does some stuff. He does some things. It's, it's, some stuff is good. He, he does some miraculous things, but we can't allow that. What do you mean you can't allow that? We can't allow Watch, verse 48. If we allow him to go on like this, why? Because we're in control. If we allow him to go on like it, can you just see the arrogance in this meeting? If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him, which is a major problem because to them, the whole salvation of the world thing, that's a problem. Salvation by grace alone through faith alone, that's a problem. They're like, we can't have that. And, 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 and then here's another problem that comes out of this. Everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army, and this is another thing religion does. It, invent, it invents things that they say will happen that really won't happen. Like, <laughs> say that word, you go to hell. Right? You, you ever hear that? Your parents or grandparents ever tell you that? Say that word, you go to hell. I, I hear you say that word like 18 times a minute. What do you mean? Say that word, go to hell. And then as you walk away, you mumble it under your breath just to get back at them. You don't say it out loud. Right? I mean, don't, don't you understand? Like, people do that stuff. We're putting rules on top of rules on top of rules that don't even exist. Say that. Do that. Go to hell? Really? 
then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. In other words, if we keep allowing Jesus to do what Jesus is doing, we lose control, and we can't have that. And don't miss this. Religion always values rules over relationship. Religion values rules over relationship. I had a guy tell me one time, um, people ask me all the time um, how to raise kids. And I tell them, and this is legit, I don't know. I'm making it up as I go along. Like I'm trying to figure out as, as I go. Like I really honestly don't know. I've read all the books. Uh, the books don't do a darn thing. The books do not help because every kid is different, right? Like another message for another time, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I had a friend tell me years ago, he said the best parenting advice I could give you, Ryan, is always value the relationship over being right. He said because you can be right for the next 18 years in your kid's life, and, 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 and you'll, just, you'll just damage them, they'll be mad, they'll leave, and they'll never come back home. I believe we see the same exact thing in the church. I think we value rules over relationship. I saw this firsthand when I started out in ministry. Um, I was a youth pastor at a church, and they told me um, they wanted to reach every type of kid. They're, they're like, you know, not just the clean kids. We want the messy kids, too. We want our church to be open to everybody. Um, well, I learned the hard way. It's one thing to say it, um, but when you start doing it, changes their tune. Uh, we've seen that around here as well, right? Um, we, we did a lock-in one time. Um, a kid came in. He had this shirt on that said, your little princess is my little whore. Now, some of the leaders were like, you need to get him to change that shirt. I was like, I'm going to rip it off. I'm probably going to take a pound of flesh when I get it off of him right now. Like, what, what, uh, I mean, it, it, it angered me. There was just inside of me this, this anger, and everybody was pressuring me to get him to change that shirt. And so I went and I got one of our youth ministry shirts and I was walking over to give him one of these shirts and, and I got halfway across the parking lot and the only way I can describe it is the Holy Spirit um, just spoke to my heart and said, don't you dare make that kid change that shirt. And I'm like, he going to change the shirt? He's like, don't you dare make that kid change that shirt. And so I turned around and I put the shirt away. Um, I had leaders leave leave just just leave like they wouldn't sound like we're gonna be here for the next 12 hours like i need your help like you're gonna make him change the shirt we ain't staying here like but i need you like you're gonna make him change that shirt and we're leaving and i'm like and then another guy was like i'll make him change like no like we're not making him change the shirt um, we did a bunch of activities then we went inside for a message this kid sat on the front row and just kind of leaned himself back, like displaying that stupid T-shirt. And I'm preaching, and every time I look over at him, there's just this anger inside of me. And I'm trying not to look at him. I'm trying to, like, preach to this side of the room. And, and I'm just talking. But every time I would look to glance at my notes or something, that, that shirt was just, like, shining. And it was just, like, it was just right there. And I just, like, oh, God, what are you doing? I gave an invitation he was the very first kid to come forward. Then we went outside, and there was a bonfire, and he took off his T-shirt. He threw it in the fire. He looked at me and said, Pastor Ryan, do you have a shirt that I could borrow? Yeah, I do, man. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got an entire box here. Just take them all. Like, it was, it was awesome. 
So a few weeks later, um, he's still really rough around the edges, but he's following Jesus. He's loving Jesus. He's asking questions about Jesus. And those are the best type of people to be around. They, they just really are. And so, <coughs> sorry, we had this Sunday night, like, testimony night. And the pastor asked me if any teens wanted to give up and share their testimony. And so I asked a couple, and this kid came walking in. I'm like, hey, man, you want to give your testimony? He said, what is that? I said, you just tell the story about how Jesus has changed your life. He's like, yeah, absolutely, I would love to do that. He gets up on the stage, and he, he starts talking about how Jesus has changed his life. And he's talking for about four or five minutes. And listen, I'm telling you, this kid crushed it. I'm sitting on the front row, and I'm crying because I'd seen the change in this kid's life. It was absolutely amazing. He gets done, and everybody is just silent. They're just blown away. The pastor gets up, and he, and he preaches. After the service, a group of people asked to meet with me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. This is where they're going to tell me that I did an awesome job. I reached a messy kid. They're going to tell me, great, here's a bonus, here's everything. They pulled me aside. And this is an honest God, true story. They said, how dare you let a young man get up on our stage in God's house wearing a hat? I laughed. They didn't. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, the Bible says, now always be careful when somebody starts yelling at you and the first words out of their mouth is, the Bible says, right, because that's, that's where they went. The Bible says you don't wear hats in church. Now, I've gone through the scriptures tons of times. It does not say that. It does not say that. They take that from a text and a passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm not going to get into this today, but it has absolutely nothing to do with wearing a hat in a church service. But I was like, are, are you serious? Are you serious about the hat thing? And they're like, yes. And we've already talked to him. And I'm looking around, and he had already left. He left, and he never came back. I was hot. I told them a few weeks later, we had a meeting. And I said, you know what? If you had spent more time listening to his heart than looking at his hat, Maybe our church, and maybe even you, would have been blessed because of it. And people were mad. People were mad that this kid wore a hat, and I was defending him, and people left the church. See, that's what religion does. Religion tells us what we can and can't do when the Bible doesn't say anything at all about it. It's a bunch of man-made rules with the intention of control and manipulation. It tells women, hey, you can't wear pants. It tells guys you can't wear shorts. It tells us what we can and can't do, and it makes rules, these extra rules that have absolutely nothing to do with the Bible. You know what else religion does? Religion does a really good job. Don't miss this because we're all guilty of this in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Religion does a really good job of saying those people. You know what I'm talking about? Those people. Now, we all have categories of those people, right? Those Republicans, those Democrats, those teenagers, those old people. We don't even understand why you old people come here. <laughs> those alcoholics, those drug addicts. People that smoke, people that drink, those black people, 
those gays, right? Those people, those people, those people. That's a phrase that I'm seriously trying to work out of the language and the culture here at Central Church. As a matter of fact, around here, we're starting to say, we don't say those people. We say those people are our people because we're all one of those people who are broken and need the grace of God. Amen? That's every one of us. We say those people are our people because we're all one of those people who are broken and need the grace of God. Every single one of us in this room, there's not a single exception, we all need the grace of God. And if you've got a group of those people in your head, in your life, then you need to check your heart. Now, this keeps going. Watch this, verse 49. Caiaphas, you've probably heard of him before. He's mentioned later on in the story of Jesus Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, hold up. Don't miss this. Religion always has an arrogance to it. Always. Religion always seeks to establish a moral high ground. And so right here, you've got a high priest, and he's talking down to everybody. That's what's happening right here. Notice the exclamation point. He yells this. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own, which is phenomenal. This, this is huge. All right, don't miss this. Because the more religion establishes to, to control people, the more God shows them how out of control they really are. Because don't miss this. Watch this. Verse, verse 51. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at the time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. Like, that's huge. Like, he was led to say that, to let everybody know that, not only for the nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered all around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders, him included, began to plot Jesus' death. How crazy is that? God told him, hey, Jesus is going to die for everybody to bring us all together to unite at the salvation of the world. He's the promised Messiah. And Caiaphas gets in on the, hey, uh-uh, now this dude, we're going to kill him. Now think about this for a second. The Ten Commandments, right? Everybody knows the Ten Commandments. Everyone knows, like, we probably don't all know the right, right order of them, but, but we know what they are. Thou shalt not kill, one of the Ten Commandments, right? And we can all, all agree that's a pretty good commandment most of the time. There are other times we're like, oh, I wish that one wasn't there. Um, but most of the time, thou shalt not kill. Like, that's a great commandment. So you've got all of these people, right? You've got all of the religious leaders who have rules on top of rules who are on top of rules, so they won't even get close to breaking the Ten Commandments, right? But religious people, they get together, and they're planning to kill Jesus. And, and, and don't miss this, because this is huge, Religious people have no problem breaking God's commands when you break their commands. This whole thing is all about control. Now, I think we can all agree that control is the greatest illusion in the universe. It really is. And if you don't agree with that, it's because you've never had a baby in your house, right? Because when that kid freaks out in the middle of the night, you're like, oh, how do I shut this thing down? What do I do? I don't even know. I, I know parents that put their kid on the dryer and turn the dryer on, not like in the dryer. All right, that, that's different. Don't do that. Some parents might be like, well, if it works, I don't like, 
we used to we used to take both of our kids and we would like they'd freak out and we'd just be we'd put them in a car and we'd drive around the block with them. It'd be two thirty in the morning. We'd just driving, just driving around the block. People would be like, What are you doing, Ryan? I don't know. NASCAR. Drive slow, turn left. I don't I don't even I don't even know. But we do whatever, right? Because you're out of control when that kid is freaking out. Control is one of the greatest illusions in the world. And right here, don't miss this. The religious leaders thought they needed to control the people when God actually called leaders to lead the people. And it's crazy because what I have found out over the years is people don't mind being led, but they hate being driven. And right here, they're trying to control. But isn't it funny? As they're trying to establish control, the more they're trying to, to be in control, the more out of control they really are. Because God says, all right, you want to be that way? You want to be that religious? You want to be that jacked up? I will simply use you to bring about what I had already planned from the beginning. And you'll be a part of the story, but you won't be featured in the story. And this is just a reminder to me that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens, God can take it and use it for good. Because he took something tragic Right here, something horrible. These men sitting in a room plotting the death of his son Jesus, and God says, hey, if that's how you're going to be, I'll use you in the story, but you won't be the hero of the story. It, it just reminds me that God can use anything. Now, I say that because I don't know what you're going through. I, I don't know what's happening. I, I don't know what has you buried. I don't know what has you feel like you're, you're just in bondage. I, I don't know. I don't know how life may be holding together or falling apart for you. I just know that when man tries to seize control, that we serve a God who's ultimately in control and will somehow use all things for good, for his glory. If he could take a bloodstained cross, think about this. If he could take a bloodstained cross and turn it into an empty tomb, it's unlimited what he can do in our lives if we simply just stop and trust him. Now, it gets more crazy. Verse 55, as a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry. Now, he's going to pick it back up. All right, we'll talk about that next week. Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. They, they ran him out of town. Like, it's absolutely crazy. They just run Jesus off. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and the Pharisees, don't miss this, the leading priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so that they could arrest him. They went to where most religious leaders go when they can't seem to get control of the situation. They went to shame. They're going to shame him. They're going to publicly arrest him and humiliate him. Now, we're going to talk about shame in detail in a few weeks um, in our house party series, but this is where I want you to get today. This is why I want you to understand. Religion seeks to shame Jesus seeks to set free. Religion seeks to shame. Jesus seeks to set free. All of us, all of us, there's not an exception in this room, I guarantee it. All of us have experienced shaming, everybody. Like if we were to stand up here and every one of us talk and tell our stories, we could 
all communicate in some way like how someone or something ha- has brought us shame at some point in our life. And, and that shameful event ha- um, put a tag or a label on us that still deep down inside we can still bring up, we, we can still say and talk about we carry today. All of us have experienced that, right? So this is what they're trying to do to Jesus. They're getting ready to tag him. They've, they've already tagged him. They're, they're labeling him. They're, they're saying he's a false teacher. They're saying he's doing these things, and, and they're shaming him. Because religion, if they can't control you, they will shame you, and they will just try to push you out and run you away. There are people here today, you're carrying the womb of shame because of what somebody, probably a, a church person, said about you. Or, or what they did to you. And listen to me, I get it. I get it. But you got to remember, the tomb is empty. It is empty. And my, while religion may want to bind you with shame, Jesus wants to set you free. Now, we're going to skip a few verses, and we're going to cover them again um, next week. But the religious leaders, they begin to lose so much control. And, and watch what happens. This is chapter 12, verse 9. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, because... He, he comes back, and again, we'll talk about that next week. Um, heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them, therefore they're losing control, right? Had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Now, I think this is funny. How scared do you think Lazarus was of a death threat? Lazarus, they're going to kill you. Bring it. We'll do an encore, baby, because I got somebody that can speak life into me. Think about that. They're speaking death. And, and, And don't miss this. Religion always does that. Religion always speaks death over people and tells you what you can't do. Relationship speaks life. Right? Religion speaks death. Relationship speaks life. Because Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who speaks life into me. So bring your threats, bring your intimidation, bring whatever you got. At the end of the day, if you're a Christian, you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. And no matter what somebody speaks over you and tells you you can't do, you actually can do in Christ because he speaks life into us. Lazarus, they're going to kill you. How stupid do you have to be to kill a man that's already been dead? Doesn't make any sense, does it? But, but don't miss this because this is powerful. Religion always seeks to kill the miracle. Religion always seeks to kill a miracle because a miracle is something that religion can't control. And so religion always seeks to kill the miracle. And the thing I want to encourage you with is, and some of you, some of you have been told what you can't do by religion. But always remember, when religion says no, Jesus says, let's go. Listen, we don't have time to sit around and regret the past. The past is the past. It is. The past is the past. We can't do anything about it. But the future has hope. 
And God has a plan. And so instead of letting people point out what you did, let Jesus point out who you are. Let Jesus point out what you were able to accomplish in him. Don't let somebody talk you out of what God has called you into because at the end of the day, they don't define you. Jesus defines you. And we've talked about this over and over and over again in this church. The way Jesus defines us is if you are in Christ, you are completely forgiven. You are unconditionally loved. You are radically accepted. That's who you are in Christ. Religion does not define us. A relationship with Jesus is what ultimately defines us. And so maybe you're here, and maybe you've been hurt, maybe you've been wounded by religion. So have I. Like, so, so have I. But shame on us if we allow their wounds to make us feel worthless. Jesus paid too high of a price for us to sit around and lick our wounds. we got a job to do. We've got a calling on our lives. We've got an abundant life to live. And that comes through a relationship with Jesus. Listen to me, church. There is freedom in relationship. There is freedom in relationship. There is healing in relationship. There is life in relationship. We need to have a relationship with Jesus. Do you have one? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If not... Today is the day that you need to make that happen. Let's pray.